Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Read A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 141, Catalan 6 in A Storm of Swords. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And oh my god, oh my god, big big news about today's episode in terms of our history, our canon. <laughs> <laughs> it's our 200th episode, our 200th published episode total. Yeah. So not 200th Acewaf, hold your applause, but 200th total, including his dark materials and other and random episodes yeah. you'll find. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess with Patreon, we, we technically hit that before then, but yeah. But this is 200 public published episodes. Raise the roof. Hooray. My God. Hooray. Thanks for listening. Yeah. We're uh, mostly morally obnoxious and you've stuck around. And I like that about you all. I do. (laughs) That's what I like about you. (sighs) Yes. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. for, For being with us on this journey after many months and, you know. Getting ready to start it over with us again. We're gonna do cat. Uh, cat. We're gonna do Ned next. Uh, next, and then we're gonna do Sansa again. <laughs> no, I'm joking. We're not doing uh, that. Um, no, a whole lot of honor in the next chapters. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, by that she means we're doing Jamie again. Oh my god. Well, don't want to be dishonorable about it, but we do have a new POV. We can't do Catalan forever, unlike Jason Malister. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, we can't. We have to move on someday. Even death couldn't have Catalan forever, so who are we? Who are we <laughs> to Okay, but you know who we do get next week, right? We have a really special yes. guest coming on. Yes. So if any of you were wondering, long, long ago when we first started doing the Catlin chapters, we read a wonderful letter from our good friend Alex, and we we teased and promised long ago that Alex would join us. Yeah, and I do have to say, Alex, they sent us so many wonderful emails about Kat that we had to cut them off just for a little because, I mean, I wanted to hear more about it from them on our episode in Catalan 7, and they're so fun. They are a huge Overwatch player and fan. Uh, We're friends on PS4, and they're always playing some video game. I love looking at what trophies they have. That's probably weird, but they have had some great, just some really great takes and thoughts and kind of... Just an analysis on gender studies, which they're really fluent and strong in, and kind of Kat's place and all of the things in A Song of Ice and Fire and what makes it A Song of Ice and Fire. So bringing them on to get their point of view on Catalan, especially as we say goodbye to Catalan, which is going to be really hard as if this hasn't been hard enough. Yeah, but actually, actually, Alex has guested on the podcast already briefly, briefly for Catalan uh, during our King in the North speech yes. if i'm not mistaken alex was lord karstark they played lord karstark yeah. right yes alex gave such a great performance as lord karstark when we sent out the casting call to all of the patrons for being in the king in the north episode which was a blast alex sent in some great files and i thought it was going to be like i i didn't think that karstark was going to be it i thought it was going to be great john i was like i bet great john but when I heard their car Stark, it was so, it was haunting. It was like very sad, very, like you could tell that car Stark just lost their kids. Alex really made that abundantly clear. It made that pain clear. So maybe that affected my analysis during hmm. this POV. Maybe. Just maybe. because of that pain that Alex brought to it. I was like, oh God, Lord Karstark, you're sad. Interesting. So I, sad. When I heard like there was like a, 
like them channeling kind of like the there was a sinister undertone not the, not the sadness and I was like interesting like that they they wove wow. that in and and I mean obviously that's a lot of what we attribute to Karstark's storyline within Rob's chapters but I think you know again we have found ourselves being sympathetic to sides we did not think we would be <laughs> throughout this read through and and I think that's been really surprising for me on this journey and I mean for every POV right like that's something that I'm always surprised about 200 episodes later of all of these uh, hadn't <laughs> how I not not just the characters change I change <laughs> well I for one cannot wait I, I can wait but I also cannot wait to end Catalan's chapters they're gonna be sad it's gonna be intense can't wait to have Alex on to help us break it down but we have some other really exciting things going on this month like our patreon episode not only is it you know october crisp autumn days but we're gonna get into some crisp creepy autumn nights and i'm really excited to talk about the creatures and spirits of his dark materials this month we're gonna do an overview of of as you said the creatures and spirits in his dark materials and really talk about like where where pullman gets some of that inspiration and you know what it's like, how how he draws that into his own world and story. Yeah, I'm excited to look at some of the structure, especially as we get further into the Amber Spyglass, the third book in the main His Dark Materials trilogy that we cover. We put out an episode a month on that that comes out usually the last Friday of the month. Lately, we apologize. We've been off our schedule. We're working on it. We're working on it. Life's going back to a little normal. But you can look for that at the end of the month. Both things, both the patron episode for the Stranger Tier, $5 tier and above at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And of course, not only is that something you can find on Patreon, but everyone that's in our Thunder Tier, $10 and above over at Patreon, has access to Discord. They have our access to a very private Discord forum where we do a lot of shit posting. We have a good time. Uh, there's a lot of Hot D, House of the Dragon, action going on actually in our bad show forum. <laughs> but October 30th, we're hosting a little shindig. Right, Eliana? We are hosting a little shindig on the Discord once a month. We do a brunch slash happy <laughs> hour. And this month, I think we, we've got a pretty straightforward theme. Usually uh, we have other themes, but this month it's Halloween. That is the theme. Yeah, costumes, highly encouraged. It's a costume party, mm -hmm. a Halloween party. Usually it's just games and giveaways and get to know yous. We do have some fun Jackbox games. I think there's a monster dating simulator game, actually, oh. that I think we're going to master. I think this is, the, this is the month. We do some giveaways of some prizes. We might even have some trivia this month. Who knows? So please come if you are in the Thunder tier and above over at our Discord at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. October 30th, 1 to 3 p.m. Eliana Standard Time. I mean, Eliana it, Time. Eliana Savings Time, maybe even. Eliana Savings Time, yeah. And uh, we're going to party. I'm going to get drunk and wear a costume. That's kind of my goal. Yeah. Well, as we said, we're, we're going to get into this Catelyn chapter. And next week is, of course, our last Catelyn chapter. Unless we were joking. We're like, what if we just push back and like delay the inevitable with, with Cat and talk about succession instead? 
<laughs> since That's what uh, happened. Chloe, Chloe has gotten me into watching Succession as the new season is premiering this coming Sunday. Yeah, season three will be starting this Sunday. And actually, Aliana and I will be together for this great sacrament. We will be spending some time together watching the Succession, drinking some champagne, taking down big media corporations. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. But we might talk about it. We haven't, uh, you know, we haven't confirmed yet, but we might talk about it. You might hear about it. So check your feeds. You never know. Absolutely. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're figuring things out. Well, we're not we're not doing any emails and tweets of note this week, but as we near the end of Catelyn's A Storm of Swords arc, and by that we mean like her her life, let's go into our <laughs> lightning round. Jesus, <laughs> get it? Lightning storms. Yeah. Oh Good my job, God. Me. Well, a storms of sword <laughs> lightning round. Samwell three. Sam slays another. Arya 9. The Hound and Arya antagonize one another. Sandor plans to ransom Arya at the twins. Good plan. <laughs> John 6. John begins to evacuate Molestown. When he returns to the Wall, he learns the fate of Lord Commander Mormont, Bran, and Rickon. Damn. Or does he? <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. And that brings us over to A Storm of Swords, Catelyn 6. As the Stark Company arrives at the twins, they get filled in on what they missed. Theon's fate is brought to the forefront. Walder Frey gives the Starks bread and salt. <laughs> and it means fucking nothing. <laughs> should ask for- <laughs> It's a paper shield. I know, right? They should ask for butter. <laughs> Salted butter. Butter means everything. Yeah, it does. God. Some Kerrygold. Yeah. You know, just slick it on. <laughs> oh my god. <gasps> That takes us to Cat 6 in A Storm of Swords. They heard the green fork before they saw it, an endless susurrus, like the growl of some great beast. The river was a boiling torrent, half again as wide as it had been last year, when Rob had divided his army here, and vowed to take a fray to Bride as the price of his crossing. He needed Lord Walder and his bridge then, and he needs them even more now. Yeah... Things are bad, right? It's still raining. Things are bad. Things are bad. I do love this is really telling us where we are, that Rob's fucked. The last time he divided his army here, you know? Yes. There was hope. Now there's not. It's bad. And <laughs> this line, we have to point this out. Last week, we were joined by Lady Gwyn from Radio Westeros for Cat 5 in A Storm of Swords, and... She made very clear to us that we had to pay attention to susurrus. Uh, I can't stop thinking about it since she said this, but it means whispering, murmuring, rustling, a humming, a whispering. It's borrowed from Latin, and it's a reduplication of imitative Proto-Indo-European swir, which is to buzz. Hmm. I found that interesting. It's a very fancy, weird word. It sounds like, I don't know, wheat growing in a field and moving in the wind. I still think it sounds like a dinosaur, but... <laughs> okay, that too. That too. And speaking, I guess, of great beasts, like, the, the, the line here is that the saucer is kind of, like, is reminiscent of the growl of some great beast, and I thought that was funny because we do get a couple of growls from a great beast this chapter. Not that anyone pays it any mind, but I, I just now when you pointed out the timing of how Rob had divided his army here last year... Yeah. And... 
now his army is divided again, but amongst themselves. And he doesn't quite know that yet. <sighs> Things are bad, and Things it's still bad. raining. <laughs> Things I'm going to a bad. wedding, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> this reminds me of your uh, uh, saying. What was it? It's something. I don't know if it was last week or the other. You're like, a bummer for all. <laughs> a bummer for all, indeed. And there is one last thing I want to call out from the opening to this chapter, which is it's a boiling torrent. Mm. The river was a boiling torrent. That doesn't sound good, does it? It sounds bad sounds like everything's about to boil over soon like a frog in a pot <laughs> yeah actually but frogs aren't here yet alas cat <laughs> is sure that they cannot ford the waters but it could be a month before they can even try again so they need the phrase reynold carries the banners and as they near the twins rob put on his floppy ears and calls for cat and edmure to flank him as they arrive the gatehouse towers emerged from the rain like ghosts, hazy, gray apparitions that grew more solid the closer they rode. I love this imagery. It reminds me a lot of Ned's wraiths from his fever dreams, right, of his past, the ghosts that he saw wraithed in gray. And soon, these towers right here, they're going to be full of ghosts, too. Yeah, they are. I mean... Uh... Because everyone dies. <laughs> Except, like, two. I mean, like, damn, Walter Frey must just, he just mustn't be very superstitious, right? For him to be like, what if I murdered all these people under my own roof and broke oaths? Or broke broke. As rights? we're gonna talk about, I mean, I think he gets off on it, because, like, this is probably when he conceives his kid with his wife, his current wife. Hmm, that's a theory. Jot it down, our ace <laughs> Oh, gross. <laughs> uh, so... The Freys are very famed for their two mirror image castles linked by a great bridge. As we approach, the water tower rises in the center with the river below. The moats that surround the river have overflowed, turning into shallow lakes. Thousands of men camp around the eastern castle, and their banners, as George decides to note, no foreshadowing, look like drowned cats. Hmm. hmm. God damn it, George. Catalan thinks that it's impossible to tell who was who. Most of them look gray, but everything looked gray in this weather. Yes. So, you pointed out the drowned cats thing. And I just think there's so much language throughout this chapter that hammers home, really, this, this idea of the rising waters and the rain. And, and it makes me feel like it's too warm, right, for the snow of the Starks. It's melting, just like their campaign, and they are drowning in that melting snow. And on a reread, I think you can really feel how suffocating everything is. You know where it all leads, and how it feels, again, like the Stark campaign is just being flooded. And in some ways, that's what the Red Wedding is. It is a flood. It washes away the Stark forces in the rain, but also in blood. You know, the, the whole red will run later. And, and the rain, of course, just really adds to that sense of despair. I mean, I think everyone kind of understands that rain just, like, feels fucking sad. And, and it, like, gives that sensation of weeping. Like Rosalind's tears, and also, again, like Catelyn's bloody tears as she rakes her fingers down her face the next chapter. And the rains are also, I mean, the rains of Castamere. That's like the name of the song, right? The, the music mm -hmm. playing as the Stark camp 
is drowned but also the music is drowning out the cries from the hall and then you also like get it again like repeated with oh where are rob and catelyn placed they're put into the water tower yeah i mean even looking back as far as the veil right Alyssa's tears Mm. liza's tears yes it's all coming back and you know even the imagery you're making me think of the imagery and just like how dreary and cold it is you think of a rain and you think of a warm rain and how it feels good. Yeah. You know, like a warm rain coming down on your face feels warm, like a mother's touch, you know, like a cat licking you. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, you think of that and it just feels good. But you think of a cold rain and it soaks you to the very bones and puts yes. the very fear of everything within you and despair, just despair. It's the, it's that like dreary autumn rain, right? As you, mm-hmm. as the seasons change into winter, as, you know, Rob is finding himself leaving the summer the spring of his youth he never quite gets to the winter of it because he he dies and oh <laughs> oh but as opposed to right like because rain can also symbolize hopefulness it can symbolize that transformation into life because that's what spring showers are about in in this area apparently not everywhere not everywhere not everyone knows the saying of april showers bring may flowers so a dream of spring flowers. A dream, I mean, I think about it. I mean, listen, listen. What I'm saying is, April Tebow <laughs> brings May Ados. Oh my god! I hope, <laughs> but like that's actually better than I can hope for in April, anyways. But I kind of thought it was fun to see Catelyn again musing upon such a large military camp and thinking looking at the colors of all the tents and what this camp looks like because the last time she really stopped and thought about that and i think the text called it out was when she came upon renly's camp and there it was banners of all sorts of different colors and it looked like beautiful like flowery mushrooms and stuff and and Mm -hmm. like a garden right and here here it it looks like drowned cats it's very sad it's mostly gray it's drab but each time when catelyn thinks about oh Looking at the camp, like when the king set up this huge military camp, right? Interestingly, a king dies. Mm. And I think that's the biggest part, right? Is that Catelyn looks at these and she sees gray, drowned cats. She can't tell enemies from friends. Mm. None of them can. Yes. It's all blurring together here. And again, that camp divided, but they don't. Yeah. really really know or understand that yet they'll get it next chapter for sure though <laughs> i hope so well in that meantime cat warns rob to tread lightly <laughs> and uh rob does say he'll be sweet as a septon she advises him to take Frey's refreshment if they're offered it and if not make sure he asks for bread cheese and wine and rob's like mom i'm not hungry right now you know like you're being weird and Cat's like, no, you have guessed right. The law of hospitality protects you beneath this roof. He's skeptical, claiming his army will protect him. Bread and salt will not. Okay, Rob, your army's also going to be out on the banks, you're about to learn. Rob says, But if it pleases Lord Walder to serve me stewed crow smothered in maggots, I'll eat it and ask for a second bowl. Me, the anime man gesturing at a butterfly. Is the stewed crow smothered in maggots who gets a second bowl of life? Is this John? Or cat. But she's not a crow. No, that's true. Yours is more (laughs) 1-1. That's true. true. (laughs) And so 
I wanted to call out this reaction that Rob has because the way that he responds to this question speaks to part of like how did Rob get into this very difficult position he's in and he says like you know he has his army to protect him but sure fine he'll fucking eat whatever and again Rob is just relying on his army to protect him and as we've discussed in previous chapters and in our Rob episode his army is kind of the only thing that he's been relying on and investing any thought into just his military strategy and the battlefield and part of it is he hasn't really been doing any of this kind of politicking really it's hard to learn it's hard to understand people and like what they want and how to meet those needs but also every time the situation has kind of asked for it rather than him doing that sort of treating and politicking he's sent Catelyn to do that diplomacy and i mean there was good rationale behind it right so first of all it's it's not it's not uncommon many of the other kings and queens right they're not the ones who are always doing the traveling for negotiations they can't be everywhere at once and they got to keep things running uh, an example of course is stannis sending davos to treat with people but also part of the reason why Catelyn was doing some of it was to protect Rob, of course. But the first time going through the twins, Rob doesn't even really show the courtesy of treating directly with with Walder Frey. He he doesn't speak to him directly necessarily uh when he accepts those that marriage oath or that that vow. And then he breaks them. And while yeah, Walder Frey was kind of shooting his shot real high. You know, I I believe people should shoot their shot, but he was he yeah. was a it, it was a little too high for sure. And not only was the price high, he ends up getting a better deal out of it later on as Rob becomes king. Rob still treats that kind of politicking and appeasement of his lords as an afterthought rather than a crucial part of his strategy, and that is counter to to Ned's lessons because Ned, I think, learned a good bit of that kind of diplomacy and politicking from John Aaron. John Aaron understood, like, all right, if we're going to win this war, it can't just be, like, military strategy. We need the alliances and we need them secure. And that was part of how they built such a strong coalition for Rob Robert's Rebellion. But also, you know, he, he had to mend the kingdom together, right? And Ned had to very much do that as well. And we see that he, he establishes strong relationships with his vassals. But Rob, again, despite idolizing his father's honor, he, he might be a little bit more like Brandon in all of this. Yeah, I honestly, from the start, I didn't think about that with John coming back to life. and But you're not like far off at all as far as Rob's military reliance, right? Rob has not dealt with the politicking and there's almost this kind of thing going on that you think it's Rob that's going to blow it, right? Like he's been hot-headed before. He's mm. made rash decisions <laughs> what? prior to now. Rob? Yeah, just a few, you know, heartfelt, raw, emotionally Dick based decisions. Raw dogging based decisions. <laughs> oh my god, that is basically it. Okay, oh my god. Uh so so you think it's going to be him that blows it, but just it turns out they were fucking fucked from the start, right? Mm -hmm. Bummer for all, you know, as we've said. <laughs> Bummer for and all. For all. There's another thing that this did remind me of, which is the rat cook, specifically coming back to Rob saying that he would have a second bowl mm. if asked. Like, I'll eat a second bowl if I have to, because 
The rat cook killed the prince in revenge for a wrong that the king supposedly did to him. The king's unaware of this, as he ate and praised and asked for a second piece of the pie. The gods were pissed, not because the cook murdered, not because he made the king a cannibal, but because the cook had slain a guest beneath his roof. Mm. They cursed the cook and transformed into, into a massive rat who was doomed to be unable to eat anything but his own young. Looking at you, Walder. Uh, with Bran 4 so soon, right around the corner, I mean the night fort, this is so pointed here that Rob says, I'll eat a second bowl if I have to. Yes, yes. I love that you've tied it back to Bran's storyline because, yeah, abs- absolutely with all of that. And, I mean, this is this is a big part, right, of some of that stuff that Lady Gwyn was talking about last last chapter in terms of the GNC or the Grand Northern Conspiracy. Of course, the Amanda and Radcook stuff plays into it, but also Bran... I mean, we, we see a lot, and Bran actually has had a little bit of experience, right, in some of that politicking uh, to compare it to Rob's storyline, and also compared to John's, right? John has learned very, very much, so, especially in A Dance of Dragons, that there are a lot of lot of things in terms of leadership and that are not just winning fights. It's a lot of dealing with people, and that's sucking. <laughs> And for as good as he was at the battles, right, as he said himself, I'm losing the war. Uh, And I think some of it is an escape, right? It is an escape to throw yourself deep within the confines of, like, the one thing you're good at. Mm. And if you're good at, like, strategizing. But politics is part of strategy. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, he doesn't live long enough to learn that. Yeah, he's (sighs) lapped by everyone. Right? Like, the Lannisters, the phrase. Everyone is lapping him on their political strategy. They're also, like, older. It's not fair. Yeah. Like, Tywin's arch-nemesis is a 16-year-old boy. <laughs> it's a lot to live up to. It is. Well, for phrase, meet Rob at the gate. Sir Ryman, the heir to the twins. He's fleshy, broad, and stupid. The other three are his sons, a.k.a. also Walder's great-grandsons, and Edmure confirms, Edwin, the eldest pale and constipated. How does he know he's constipated? Black Walder, wiry and nasty, and then Peter Pimple. Peter's only a couple years older than Rob, but Walder had married him off to a woman three times his age. Yeah, he was married off at age 10 to Mylenda Karen, yes, of the Marcher Lords in the Stormlands. She was 30 at the time. (laughs) And even worse, marital troubles are afoot. We learn in the epilogue, if you recall that little chapter, Peter is possibly sleeping with sex workers because Mylenda is fucking Black Walder and Moonboy, for all I know. Uh, Yes, that is when Peter gets caught and hanged by the Brotherhood and Stoneheart. Not too far after Ryman is hanged by Stoneheart near Fair Market. But truly, who isn't fucking Black Walder? That's like a, a big question. Like, Blackwalder is cucking almost all of his brothers. The rumor is he fucked Edwin's wife, Janice Hunter, Mylenda Karen, and then his cousin, Fairwalda, and Gatehouse Amy. That's. He's busy. Is he that good? He must have, like, <laughs> at least decent enough. Okay, real talk. He must have decent enough dick, and you know he throws him around in bed. That's my thought. Mm, like, that just makes enough. Sense. You know, yeah. like. I don't know, is Peter Pimple doing it for you, Eliana? Definitely not. I mean, none of them are. That's the thing. That's why I'm, like, interesting that Black Walder has such a game. (laughs) 
<laughs> than anyone has Game of Thrones. Oh my god. <laughs> well, that said, I will say that's like half of the group. And like, I don't know. I suspect Edwin and Blackwalder are going to die at Stoneheart's hands, probably. Mm. If not, maybe Arya's or something crazy. Who knows? Yeah. <sighs> probably. Probably. And you have to laugh because Edmir is like, as talking about them, he's like, gods, I hope Rosalind doesn't take after him about Peter. Oh, well, it's mean, Edmir, that's mean. Yeah, he's really just dreading this whole thing. Grey Wind edges forward, watching the men approach. He's also feeling a little bit of dread because he growls once they're close enough, almost one with the rushing river. And then Rob looks startled and calls Grey Wind to me, but Grey Wind ignores him, leaping forward and snarling. The horses freak out, except for Blackwalder, who reaches for the hilt of his sword. And then, I, I thought this was interesting, that Catelyn's the one who spurs between the horses. She puts herself between Grey Wind and, and the phrase, and Blackwalder then shouts with the naked steel in his hand, Is this how a start makes amends? A poor greeting to set your wolf upon us. Yeah, Catelyn being the one between them, it kind of reminds me of a couple things, like her interference with Peter and Brandon during their fight, speaking of a Peter, right? Wow! And, Peter Pimple. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it's kind of what she does at the end end for herself, right? Like, she puts herself oh. between them and causes a diversion. Yes. Yeah. She- she's a... She's quite a mom, that mother of ours, Catelyn Stark. Yeah. <sighs> Very much mama wolf. There's a lot happening during this. I wanted to point out the use of the word amends, I, I was just kind of bored on A Search of Ice and Fire, and I was like, when has amends been used in the series? In the first three books, to make amends or amends, it's used primarily in Catalan 2, A Storm of Swords. Huh. Uh, there are other chapters, but I found that interesting that there are 16 total mentions of amends in the book and in any of the books. Nine of them are in Catalan chapters, so amends becomes such a big theme of making amends, making amends for your issues, and all of them are regarding breaking oaths, being insubordinate to the bigger plan for the North, etc. So in Catalan 2 we have, If my heart led me into folly, I'd gladly make whatever amends I can to Lord Karstark and yourself. And Karstark in return asks if Catalan's amends will warm Torn and Eddard's dead bodies, Later, Rob says, if they had Sir Stevron, who's dead, he may have been able to make amends. And Edmir, after he does this whole Battle of the Fords shindig, he says, you must let me make amends. I will lead the van in the Hmm. next battle. So there's this really big focus just on making amends throughout Catalan 2 through Catalan 6 here. I just thought it was interesting that he really introduced that in that plot and like, wanted to hone in on what making amends really means because we know it's like there are some different ideas going on in mm-hmm. Westeros of what making amends means you could say definitely and i think it's just like an interesting idea to run through Catelyn's storyline because you know i'm always talking about i think forgiveness and mercy and the idea of being able to make amends speaks to this idea of like can things be set right which is i think also a big question when it comes to vengeance right and also like is forgiveness like what warrants forgiveness and and again i think forgiveness is 
it's tied with mercy, right? And and that that is part of the lead up to becoming Mother Merciless. Yeah. And kind of where that line ends, right, of mercy. When does it end? When do we no longer give mercy and why? Yeah, I think this chapter really precipitates on that idea of what's vengeance, what's justice, what's mercy. It displays some of these different things very lightly that you just don't get to see and in the next chapter it's like oh you weren't listening to that of the skin of a man just here of a boy Mm -hmm. skin just laying out is that vengeance justice or mercy yeah you don't get a chance to care about what that is because you're all gonna die yeah it's it's a bummer for all for all but that said after Greywind kind of, you know, freaks out the horses, off horses, Ryman and Peter, they get to their feet unhurt but muddy, and Rob tells them he's come to make apology and see his uncle wed House Frey. They're pretty pissed, right? They're not very kind to Rob. And this is something interesting, and it should have kind of been the first warning, not just that Greywind was upset, which we already see as the biggest red flag, but the bare steel. Ryman immediately bared his steel, Mm. and as we know from Rob's chapters, from what Roderick taught Rob, his sword was bare across his knees, steel bare for all the world to see, even Bran knew what it meant to greet a guest with an unsheathed sword. And later, like what Rob says to the great John, my lord father taught me it was death to bear steel against your liege lord, but doubtless you only meant to cut my meat. Obviously, their alliance is broken-ish at this point, and they're trying to repair it. Uh, but a guest coming to your door, and you took out your sword mm-hmm. that easily? That that was very significant on this read-through to me. I was like, oh, you just, you bear your steel at a doggo? Yeah. What's wrong with you? You're the worst kind of person. You're bigger than him, It almost. Yeah. <laughs> almost. I mean, Greywind could probably still win but yes absolutely it is it's a huge red flag um that it happens so easily and i think that's such a great call out and you know all of that like goes to show how much they're antagonizing rob and they also like quickly just like turned it on him right it's very very obviously manipulative that they're like is this how you greet people it's like no fucking no like Dogs are just like that, all right? Wolves are just like that. Random ass dogs on the street are sometimes like that, all right? Like, and it's a wolf. Do you just randomly start a murder plot against people? Yeah. Like, how about that? Animals are just like that. Yeah. There's a reason we, like, bred and tamed them into dogs and we don't, like, actually all have pet wolves, all right? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I, no, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. I wish I did. I know. <laughs> it would eat me, though. It would totally eat me. Yeah, that's what happens uh, when you have a pet wolf. <laughs> well, Ryman further manipulates them. He's like, well, you came late. And Rob's like, I literally sent you a DM, dude. <laughs> like, I told you we were coming late. I sent a bird. And Ryman ignores that and says, I don't see the woman, which, of course, everyone knows to mean Queen Jane. Catalan puts her best foot forward. She's like, Queen Jane was very weary after travel, and she's pleased to visit when times are settled. And Walder's like, my grandfather will be displeased. He sheathes his sword finally, and he says, Walder wanted to behold her with his own eyes. Edwin interrupts, telling them their arrangements are in the water tower. Hmm. Their lord's bannermen are welcome to shelter under their roof and partake of the feast, but Rob's host is too big. 
you know, just too big. They don't have enough room. They don't have enough food. They barely have enough food for their own levies. But those men will not be neglected. A tent is set up for them with wine and ale, as well as, you know, shelter from the rain. Enmir asks when he will meet his betrothed, and Edmund promises him inside, and is all like, You will forgive her if she seems shy, I know. She's been waiting to stay most anxiously, poor maid. They follow him in, out of the rain, and Edmure complains to Catelyn that Lord Frey didn't meet them in person. Cat reminds him that, well, you know what? When you're 90, you can come back out and tell her how you feel about coming out in the rain to greet people. But True. internally, she's like, I don't know, Edmure might be right, though. <laughs> and <laughs> she's like, Walter does always travel in a covered litter anyway. So she's wondering, is this a deliberate slight? And is it the first of many to come? To answer that question, yes. And yes, it is. It is both. It can Uh, be both. (laughs) It's actually not the first, though, of many to come. Uh, This is totally uh, the last Tyrion chapter, right? The last Tyrion chapter, Tyrion was sent to meet Dorian, Dorian's leading prince, but instead he received Oberyn, the dangerous viper. So it's kind of reversed, right? The Freys are owed a great debt due to this broken oath, and they wanted Rob, the wolf, but instead they're giving the slippery, floppy fish Edmure. And I I think that's such a great comparison because I was actually thinking about the same thing, especially because, as you said, it's like in the last few chapter, it's in this book. And I think that what I found so surprising rereading this chapter is I felt that there was a lot of Walder that kind of reminds me of Doran Martell. Like, some of the ways that all of this is set up and that even, like, Walder is described is kind of like a, you know, dark Doran Martell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's even described as Gaudi yeah, in this chapter. That really stood out. And, like, because I do think Doran has a good reason, you know, for wanting vengeance against the <laughs> Lannisters and the Lannister regime. While Walder's desire for vengeance, it is kind of more about his pride. But, like both uh the uh, these are all born out of feelings that have been nursed over decades in both of them right for for walder it's all those uh you know little petty slights and and never feeling good enough and for doran it's you know that a bunch of his family members were killed and he had to bow then to them to those murderers Mm -hmm. you know it's not really equivalent but they also you know both invite these royals into their home and then they're they're seeking to have those debts repaid. God. I guess it's not yeah. technically a well, I mean Marcella's a royal, but they're nice to Marcella because that'd be mean to not be, but Balin Swan, you know. I mean they're kind of nice to her. She's missing an ear. That's not their fault. Well, I mean it's their fault that they um, didn't do that. You know, they were <sighs> it was Dark Star. Listen, consequences come from your actions. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that there are some fingers that could be pointed in some places on some child care problems there. Yeah, okay? that's true. They were they were neglectful babysitters. Would not And when they fucking like murder Tommen yeah. and murder Marcella in the Winds of Winter, you can come back and talk to me about this, okay? I would leave them just a bad kidding. Yelp review for their daycare. <laughs> when they get to the gatehouse, Grey Wind hobbles at the portcullis, freaking out, baring his teeth. Catalan thinks he does not like this place. Hmm. Rob speaks softly to him, talking him down. 
Walder Rivers and Lame Lothar come up in this time, saying, Ah, he fears the water. Beasts know to avoid the river in flood. That was interesting to me, because in just like four days' time, Catelyn gets pulled out of the river by Nymeria, right? By Arya's wolf. Uh, which shows a couple things. Beasts know to avoid the river in flood. They hate the river. That's either a lie, or it's Arya warging Nymeria to get her cat out. Mm-hmm. Her mom is the cat. <laughs> Three days passed. I mean, the waters are probably still high. Yeah. Right? From the flooding. But yet, Nymeria drags cat out. Yes. So it's a lie, is what I'm saying. They're lying. They are lying. There's a lot. I mean, it, as you said, not the first, not the last. <laughs> they offered to put Grey Wind in the kennel with their master of dogs, but Rob refuses and instead has Sir Reynold stay with Grey Wind before he enters the twins. Catelyn thinks that this is all very deftly done to keep both the Westerling and the wolf away from gouty old Walder Frey. And I'm like, I guess, kind of, but it kind of is like the bar's kind of low right there, right? It's a little too little too late. And they find Walder in his high seat made of black oak carved to resemble two massive towers, and it turns Walder into looking like a grotesque child. Yes, the human embodiment of a 90-year-old ball sack. He's wrinkly, pink-necked, scrawny, bald, age-spotted. He looks like a vulture, but more like a weasel. He has loose skin, runny eyes, a toothless mouth. His eighth wife stays beside his seat, and at his feet a younger version of himself, a man of fifty with a crown and collar, ornamented with brass bells. Cattler remembers this one, who has always been hidden away. Did he always wear a fool's crown, or is that further mockery, she thinks? I must say I am totally reminded of another fool, right, oh. who has some prophecies about the Red Wedding here. Indeed. Indeed. Patch face. Patch face, patch face, patch face. Patch face. You're right. There, There is that fool thing running through both. And, well, I yeah, mean, as you said, crown. patch faces is about this. but You know, people wear that fool's crown right before they get murdered. <laughs> we saw uh... the prologue, okay? <laughs> uh... Well. So, Frey children, grandchildren, husbands and wife all begin to fill the hall, but it's Walder who speaks first, and he says, Rob will forgive him. For not kneeling, it's not a request, as his legs suck, but he still fucks, obviously. He mentions, you know, gesturing at his wife. And then he eyes Rob's crown and calls it poor. He says a poor king crowns himself with bronze. Mm. Rob answers, bronze and iron are stronger than gold and silver, and the kings of winter wore a similar sword crown as well. Walder comments, small good it did them when dragons came. Heh. I'm just like, what was the point of that sentence, Walder? Like, are you telling me that you think you're a dragon? Right, like, he can't possibly know dragons came. Yeah, I'm just like, especially with, like, this, with Jingle Ball being named Egan, I'm like, that's a, shooting a little high there again, Walder. And you have the other one, too, right? In uh, There is also one named Rhaegar somewhere there, too. A Rhaegar, that's yeah. what it is. Suck ups. I mean, he has it all throughout, right? His family, and we, mm-hmm. we'll see. There's like a Cersei fray there too, somewhere. But it it does feel really significant that he's like uh, he's not gonna kneel, right? He blames it on the knees, but obviously, as we know from all of the marketing from the hit 
award-winning HBO television show that these books are based off of. Bending the Knee. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, that's why they also mm-hmm. made a beer as part of the promos named after it, Bend the Knee. And it does harken back to what Lady Gwyn was saying last episode, right, of Walder being like, yeah, I mean, I joined you and I agreed to be chaotic for a little bit, but I wasn't here to just straight up secede. Yeah, it is kind of like, like you said, chaotic, chaotic. Like, that's what he wanted. He wanted to disrupt the system, you know, piss off a Lannister or two. That's not what he got. He got a rebellion, a full ass rebellion. He's like, oh, I'm not God. this kind of messy. He's like, I hate drama, yet the drama <laughs> follows him anyway. Walder Frey's like, I am an uncouth bitch, and I love, no, wait, I hate, but I love drama. Yeah. <sighs> Jingle Bell is pleased by Walder's heh that he gives. Jingle Bell bobs around, and Walder asks Rob to forgive Aegon his noise. He has less wits than a Cranogman, one of Stavron's sons. Oh, Good, another slight towards the north. Hmm. Hmm. Rob smiles at Aegon and says, Your father was a brave man. Jingle Bell jingles, smiling. Walder says, Save your royal breath, and then addresses Lady Catelyn in Lord Tully's return, the fifth Lord Tully he's ever known. He's outlived the other four. He makes sure that they know. Hmm. Interesting. Not not at all <laughs> ominous. <laughs> no reason, just saying. No, no reason uh-huh. to say I've outlived them. Okay. Well. Is that a threat? <laughs> he might not outlive Edmir, though. Walder supposes that Edmir wants to look at his bride and says, Alright, you will have it, but clothed. He's not going to see her naked till the bedding, which soon enough, soon enough. He calls for Rosalind to be fetched and asks Rob, where's Queen Jane is? Rob tells him he left her at Riverrun because she was too weary for travel. This makes Mulder grievous sad and says he had wanted to look upon her with his eyes, asking his lady wife, isn't that so? And nervously, the lady phrase says that, Yeah, we had all wanted to pay homage to Queen Jane, who must be fair to look upon, and Rob says icily, she is. Kat then is reminded of Ned's coldness, but Walder either just, like, didn't hear it or ignored it. Yeah, he knew. (laughs) I mean, there's no reason to beat around the bush. He knew. Otherwise, there's no way, he he says, you know, there's no way Rob could have forgotten his very solemn (laughs) promise if she wasn't beautiful. With his dick. Um, I'm worried about Lady Frey. Yeah. I just want to put that out there. All of them. Yeah. She's, later in Feast, we find out she's pregnant with Walder's kid. Mm. So that's too bad, right? Like, that's too bad, (laughs) because whether it's Stoneheart or the Brotherhood or Arya or other Freys, like, there are other Freys that would rip that child out of her yeah. stomach. That that baby's not long for this world. And it's even worse, right? Like, it's kind of sad. She's an Aaronford whose liege is House Frey. Her name's Joyous. Ha 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 ha. Joyous. Uh, sad. It puts her in such a powerless position. Like, she was married off and told, marry your liege lord and give him kids. And... As the rat cook's tale goes, the rat cook ends up doomed to eat his young. Yeah, that house is about to just cannibalize itself. Mm. 
It's going to be real rough. It's going to be wild. It's too bad for her. Too bad for all the lady fairies, to be honest. Yes. And by that, I mean specifically Walter's wives. Well, Rob gives his first apology. No words can set that right, I know. But I have come to make my apologies for the wrong I did your house, and to beg for your forgiveness, my lord. So, Walter gets his digs in, saying the young remember nothing when they see a pretty face and a nice set of titties. But it's not him that he should apologize to, it's his maiden girls. Arwen, a girl of 14, whose name, I mean, who knows? Who knows what influenced that name? Sheree, his... <laughs> See, I know these references. Sheree, his youngest true-born daughter. Amy and Marianne, though. Amy is once ridden. Circe, who they call Little Bee, from her Beesbury mother. It sounds like a name from, like, I don't know, from Gossip Girl or something. Little Bee. Oh my god. Walda, and then Mary, his granddaughters. Tida, his daughter. Another Walda, an Alex, a Marissa, a Sarah, and Sarah. Which are kind of like those left and right twins. Sir Eamon's Walda, who he then kicks off the stage because she's a bastard son. And he comments, the king in the north has no interest in base stock. Interesting. I kind of think that's a slight too, for a couple reasons. Not even, like, knowing that A, Rob just signed his will with Jon Snow as the heir, right? Like, he doesn't know that. But he does know that Rob married a woman overnight, a young lady overnight. Mm -hmm. And he does know Ned had a bastard. And he does know that Catelyn was brought up in a family that he thinks is stuck up. So... It is. I mean... They are. <laughs> it's... They are. Until these are. I mean, that's just... It is what it is. I mean, so let alone realizing all the Rob stuff, the king in the north has no interest in base stock, obviously, because he had a shotgun wedding. But on the other hand, not obviously, because he just chose his heir as a bastard. Yes. It's a, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of complexity there, right, with that decision that was made. And I think that's a really, really great point of the layers within that dig, which, I mean, props, props to Walder Frey for that, then, you know, like... It, yeah. It's a it's a layered it's a layered insult and He's petty. I mean, I just gotta say, he's the king of petty yeah. in this book. He doesn't nobody nobody out petties him. He doesn't he doesn't know that I guess John's the heir, but and I guess, you know, that's the thing, right? He can't see into Rob's heart that yeah. it's not that Rob doesn't think that baseborn children or bastard children have no value or worth it's that as as we've discussed previously he grew up in a household where he saw that constantly demeaned and didn't wish to subject jane nor a potential child to that mm -hmm. it, it wasn't out of it wasn't out of honor in that way so much as again love for john and and and, it, and it's a it was a valiant heroism it's just like that same thing right like the price the price of it all. Yeah. And to that same extent, like, Walder could never also understand yeah. what's going on there because for him, they're a dime a dozen. He pops, you know, the kids in, they pop out, and they ask for things. He does his best. He doesn't give a shit. I mean, he's, he's kicking them off stages going, you're not a real kid in this family. I think, uh, 
I just am constantly reminded of my father, like my dad, my stepdad has eight siblings. And, you know, he talked as a kid about how sometimes you had to just like fight for the scraps you got, you know, in that household, whether it was attention, whether it was food, love, you had to fight for that. And Walder quite obviously has never offered that love from his heart to all the kids. Maybe it's because he's stretched so thin and weaselly in that twin chair. He's just never had to worry about giving that kind of love and never has. And it shows how his legacy is going to burn down. Yeah. And and I, I don't even think it's that he's stretched thin. He just, I think he just doesn't care. And you're right. He couldn't understand why Rob did it, which is out of love. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he treats his trueborn children basically the way Catelyn treated John. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're not wrong. He's like, this is, that's normal. This is how you treat like, people. Listen, you piece of shit, get yeah. the fuck off my table. He just yeah. treats everyone uh, like that. Next comes Rob's next apology. My ladies, Rob looked desperately uncomfortable, but he had known this moment must come, and he faced it without flinching. All men should keep their word. Kings, most of all. I was pledged to marry one of you, and I broke that vow. The fault is not in you. What I did was not done to slight you, but because I loved another. No words can set it right. I know, yet I come before you to ask forgiveness that the phrase of the crossing and the Starks of Winterfell may once again be friends. The smaller girls fidgeted anxiously. Their older sisters waited for Lord Walder on his black oak throne. Jingle Bell rocked back and forth, bells chiming on collar and crown. Good. That was very good, your grace. No words can set it right. (laughs) Well said. Well said. At the wedding feast, I hope you will not refuse to dance with my daughters. It would please an old man's heart. (laughs) So... Rob addressing the room of maiden girls. This is like the worst season of The Bachelor. I guess he's not a bachelor now, but whatever. I mean, what is this? Your Love Island show? Yes. I I haven't started on The Bachelor yet, but everyone talks about it. So I'm like, maybe I should just maybe I should just go all in. I should just go all in. What are we gonna do with you? (laughs) I don't know. Oh my god, it's time you take up knitting. (sighs) Uh Finally, Sir Benfrey, Rosalind's brother, brings her in. They're both Rosbys, children of the sixth Lady Frey, small for her years, white as if she had risen from a milk bath. A comely face, small chin, delicate nose, and big brown eyes. Her thick chestnut hair fell in loose waves to her tiny waist. She kneels to Lord Edmure and says she hopes she's not a disappointment to him. Far from it, thought Catelyn. Her brother's face had lit up at the sight of her. You're a delight to me, my lady, and ever will be, I know. So sad. This is the one little spot of hope. You know, I do love this. Yeah. That Admir just complained for like half a fucking book about having to marry a Frey girl. And like, of course, he's fucking happy. It's this petite shrimp chick that's adorable. And it's like, ooh, ooh, I love you, Lord Admir. And he's like, of course you do. I'm the man. And they can go be happy except sad together. Yeah. Because everything's awful. It's going to be real sad. I mean, she's already sad. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I think he he didn't get to 
True, so obviously he's very relieved, but I also am like, I mean, obviously Walder chose that for interesting reason for 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 a good reason for his plans but i'm like in general right why are they all like shitting like statistically some of them have to be hot <laughs> there's like enough of when them. you have so many right. yeah if there's enough of them statistically you get a couple odd ones no i'm just kidding <laughs> like, jesus eliana anyways cat thinks that Rosalind's pretty enough again catlin's standards very high but the Rosbys were never robust she had preferred some of the older girls in the halls with a cray call look Walder's third wife. She's like, I don't care if they're hot. <laughs> they got them childbearing <laughs> hips and big breasts and there's some um, strong arms to carry them. Catelyn's like, thick thighs save lives. Basically. <laughs> Dude, should have married a Mormont is what I'm saying. Like, you want that? You want some childbearing yeah. look? Like, the Mormonts. Daisy's like That's right there. Shit. But Daisy was into Rob. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Daisy is kind of his Brienne, right, in a way. Yeah. Mm. 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 Interesting. Edmir draws Rosalind to her feet and calls her beautiful, and then is like, wait, why are you crying? For joy, Rosalind said. I weep for joy, my lord. Enough! You may weep and whisper after your wed. <laughs> you know, so Rosalind is from the Rosby side of the family, right? Which is like one of two parts of this family that are actually sane. Yes. Or somewhat sane. Mm -hmm. uh, one of two parts of the family that has a conscience. And interestingly enough, I feel like the Rosby inheritance is kind of a big debated about topic in the fandom. You know, we're, we're at this point in the books as of A Dance with Dragons that we don't know who's going to inherit it. Rosby. Giles Rosby has died. He put forth his ward. We have, obviously, Bronn thinking he might be able to take it. And uh, also, we have kind of some Freys that might have a good claim from the Frey Rosbys. We don't know Bethany's relation to the main branch, but it's boldly clear the current claimants don't have shit. It kind of makes me think that Edmure's child might get a claim on Rosby mm -hmm. in that same line of thinking. But in the meantime, maybe we'll see a Frey take it, like Perwin or Olivar, if they live. Haha. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. And interestingly enough, in Brienne's chapters in A Feast for Crows, she goes through there, right? So it makes mm. me think since Brienne and Jamie's chapters are almost an answer to Kat's disappearing plot, that that feels connected. It does feel connected. I, it, I think it will be important at some point. That's why people are always talking about it. That Rosby Ario. That Rosby Deary Air. Asses. Get it? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Apparently, apparently, it's too small though. Cat was like, "That girl does mm. not have an ass." No derriere there. Mm -mm. <laughs> Walder orders Benfrey to take Rosalind to her chambers. She has a wedding and a bedding to prepare for, but for now, he declares, "We'll have music, such sweet music and wine. <laughs> the red will run. We'll put some wrongs right." Fuck off, Walder Frey. I, I, you know, I know that I've apologized for his poor actions before. And, and I do think there is some level of apology that, like, you can, you can look at this character and see them as a complex character. However, however, on my mother, Cattle and Tully's grave, fuck Walder Frey. She doesn't have a grave. Yet. Mm, yeah, true, true, true. Like, she's still out there. She's coming for you. She also is like, fuck off, Walder Frey. And Agreed. 
I mean, yeah, it's like he's just he's just enjoying this too much, right? Like, what is he yeah. really gonna get out of it? What he gets out, of, he doesn't really get out of the whole thing what he wanted. You know, he wanted to be respected, mm-hmm. I guess. And <sighs> if you can't beat him, kill him. I mean, what what can he do with vengeance? Right? Is vengeance gonna sleep with him and? bed and nurse him or whatever nah it's just gonna make everyone be like wow what a slimy piece of shit yeah but I mean he can just buy another yeah that's true another vengeance yeah another vengeance (laughs) another wife we'll have one vengeance please make it a double anyway for now the Stark camps they're they're all gross they're weary and wet so he sends them off for baths fires and hot mulled wine and Rob says he needs to see his men cross the river first, but Walder's like, no you don't, it's fine, we can wait, they won't get lost, they crossed once before. He was all like, you wanted a crossing, and I gave it to you. And you never said mayhaps. (laughs) But, suit yourself. Oof, don't like that word being brought up by a fray of the crossing, mayhaps. A quick refresh back to brand chapters. Two mayhaps just happened here, one for Rob, and there's another that happens for Cat. In Bran's chapters, the way the game between the Walders and Bran is played, you laid the log across the water, and one player stood in the middle with the stick. He was Lord of the Crossing, and when others came up, he'd say, I'm Lord of the Crossing. Who goes there? The other player had to make a speech about who they were, and why they should be allowed to cross. The Lord could make them swear oaths and answer questions, They didn't have to tell the truth, but the oaths were binding, unless they said mayhaps. The trick was to say mayhaps so the Lord of the Crossing didn't notice you slipped it in. Then you could try and knock the Lord into the water, and you got to be Lord of the Crossing, but only if you say mayhaps. Otherwise you're out and the Lord would knock you in the water anytime he wants, and he's the only one who gets to use a stick. Hmm. So this is the physical manifestation, right? Walder says... You never said mayhaps. Rob here in just a moment makes a speech about why he should be allowed to pass, apologizing to the girls. But he never says mayhaps. Simon didn't say, bitches. Yeah, I... I That is interesting. It might actually be inspired by Simon Says. I, I think it is. I think yeah. mayhaps is literally just Simon Says. You're welcome. Yeah, I, did, I, I forgot that game. I completely forgot that game. And, Simon never said. Yeah, and... I guess they just played that very specific version there, Lord of the Crossing, and I'm also just like, I don't know, Walder Frey, not everyone played, like, your weird, like, very indie game, and... Bore on the floor! (laughs) It's fucking Bore on the floor! It literally is Bore on the floor! It actually (laughs) is, though. And... Yeah, and... I think it's funny, like, in this quote that you've reminded us of in terms of the rules of Mayhaps, that idea they they get to knock anyone in the water anytime because it comes back to that idea, again, of drowning in the flood. Oh, fun. Fun. We love drowning in the flood. We're having so much fun. Look at all the fun we're having. I love that line. Uh, Look at all the fun we're having. (laughs) Cat through all this, remembers the guest right law of hospitality out of nowhere. She's like, oh shit, hospitality. And she's like, please feed us. We've ridden many leagues. Walder is like, hmm, a loaf of bread, a bite of cheese, mayhaps a sausage. Rob adds wine and salt to wash it all down. The servants whisk it all out and Walder raises a glass to the Starks. 
as the servants bring it, saying, Welcome to my honored guests beneath my roof and table. Rob, Edmir, and all the men echo their thanks for hospitality, drinking, eating, feeling much safer. Catalan thinks, now we should be safe. Oh, Cat, you're such a good human. You're just like your husband, hmm. right? This is a paper shield. This is just a yes. food shield. It's not real. I love that comparison. It's it's such a it's such a perfect like one to one of thinking that yeah these rules are going to protect you. Society is going to protect me. They thought, but it didn't. Society has shit on you since you were born. <laughs> because they got lucky, right? Society is protected. Well, except for the part where you know Robert's rebellion, but for a lot of it, like society <laughs> protected them. Yeah. Thus far. Yep. Well, in the tower, their provisions are actually really nice. The bridal chamber is richly appointed with tully red and blue drapings and a carved bed that looks like the twins. Sweet carpets, shuttered windows. Then Catelyn's room is smaller but handsomely furnished with a fire burning. And I mean, like, they're getting, like, really weird hot and cold mixed messages from the phrase. Like, them being, like, very salty and rude, but then giving them amazing amenities. They're, like, fucking Sour Patch Kids. But, like, that's the point, right? Like, it was a sign. They're trying to lull them into cuff- comfort. They're, like, gonna get their little jabs in, and then and then they give them a nice room, a nice wife. Yeah, especially because, like, again, that's what Walder thinks he'll be able to fool her with. Yes. Right? Like, oh, the daughter of Hoster Tully. And sure enough, Rob Sweet was promised to be fit for a king. They said, if you need anything, tell the guards. Lame Lothar helped them, hooked them up with the provisions. Don't trust that motherfucker. <laughs> He limps away heavily, and Catelyn immediately is telling her brother, we need to post our own guards. It's obviously, again, too little, too late. While the audience with the phrase hadn't been as bad as they thought, she just wants it all to be done, right? Like, in a few days' time, she's gonna take her depressed ass out to Seaguard to be a glorified hostage, and then she hears horses below, and she goes to watch the host pass through the window. Edmure asks her what she thought of Rosalind, and in her head, she's like, childbirth is going to suck for that little girl. But instead, she says she's sweet. Edmure asks, why was she crying? And Kat's like, you know, that's expected. Liza cried on her wedding day. She weeped lakes the morning of our wedding. But she still managed to look radiant when John swept his cloak around her. I do have to say, I know that she's saying this to make Edmure feel better, right? Like, to, to just calm his nerves. But Liza crying the morning of her wedding, lakes, you know, like Lissa's tears, Eliza's mm. tears, Alyssa's tears. Uh, that lake of tears she cried, that was kind of a red flag, right? Yeah. That Liza was sobbing. Like, these were red flags, Kat. Remember? You, you just learned the story of why right? your sister was in the deep end because of all the trauma she surpassed. Like, we just went through this. So you're willfully ignoring it to say that's normal that's a normal thing that girls cry at their wedding right she's like completely divorcing it from the context of like that was not joy i feel like people can you can you can tell when someone's crying from joy and that was not it (laughs) that was nerves and anxiety and freaking out because your fucking family's about to murder a huge amount of people anyways yeah that was red flags and also like maybe i guess her I mean, something's going on with her siblings, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not there. Yes. Not present. Yep. It's, it's pretty weird. It is a red flag. And and Muir says that she's prettier than he dared to hope, pausing then to like ward off like 
All right, all right. Shut up, Kathleen, with your septa sermon. And then saying, did you see some of those other phrases? The twitch, the shaking sickness. But Rosalind seemed gentle and fair. Why would the old weasel refuse to let me choose unless he meant to foist off someone hideous? And Kat says, like, maybe Walder wants you to be happy with your bride. <laughs> that can't be it. That cannot. Again, red flag. Cannot be it. Yeah. But she also thinks, like, maybe he didn't want you upsetting his plans, which is, yes, the true, true. The plans are just significantly more intricate than anyone could have could have expected. Who knew Walder Frey played 4D chess? No one knew. I mean, that's what the mayhap, mayhap Simon says. That is some 4D chess shit. Four buttons and Simon says. Oh that's my god, bop it. Twist it. <sighs> Pull it. Twist it. Um, look, instead... She changes what she says because, and this is sad, right? That she like knows she doesn't want to hurt him or separate from him any further than she has to. She's already been kind of a bit cold to him during the journey. She knows she has to be delicate with poor, delicate Edmure. She says, maybe Rosalind is his favorite child. The Lord of Riverrun is a much better match than he can hope for. Edmure still seems uncertain. Yes, this Edmure who just chapters ago was hooting and hollering and saying, I'm the man. He seems uncertain, and he wonders, could Rosalind be barren? Kat's like, again, the grandson would inherit River Run, so no, I doubt that that would be the gift Edmure that he would give us. Walder's a peevish man, not a stupid one. Mm-hmm. Still concerned, Edmure's like, I don't know, and Kat's like, it's a possibility. Maybe she can't conceive, but there's no reason to believe it. She looks around and she's like, Edmure, this could all be going way worse. And he laughs and he agrees. And he's like, yeah, he's practically being courteous to us down there. I expected the old weasel to piss in our wine and make us praise the vintage. Yeah. Funny. It's a funny phrase. It reminds me of how Stannis thinks people acted towards Robert. And yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense. Walder Frey obviously wants them to have a child like once once they have a child right they don't fucking need edmure Mm-mm. well anyway the joke this this specific joke kind of like weirds catlin out for some reason and she takes leave to go change and she had brought her chest of clothes from riverrun and chooses a warm wool dress of tully red and blue she washes her hair she lets it dry and goes downstairs to search for the phrase Walder's throne is empty, but when she enters the hall, his sons are drinking by the fire. Lothar rises, clumsily, and asks if he can help her. She asks if these are his brothers, and he comments, Half-brothers! Also brothers! And nephews! Raymond is his half-brother through his mother. Lucius Viperin is his half-sister's husband, and Sir Damon is their son. Hostin is his half-brother, and Leslin, Haig, and his sons... Harry's and Donal are here as well. I don't know if like anyone absorbed anything that I just said there. Like that was really difficult. <laughs> I did though. I I actually really kind of again, apologia for the phrase. I really love this little clip because it it just like shows you how many there are. There's just so fucking many of them. And it's obvious we just walked in on a mini war council now, <laughs> right? Like retroactively, like you know that Lothar not only is he clumsily rising because of his foot, but he's also rising like, oh, can I can I help you, Lady Stark? What can I do for you to get you away from us who are planning murder right now? Yeah, like when you walk into a room, it's like, we weren't talking about you. They weren't talking exactly. about you. <laughs> and they're all pretty shocked to see her there in that room. And 
You know, in the Andal War that killed Christopher Mudd that we talked about last week, mm. Vorian Viprin was one of the lords that attacked the Riverlands. Hmm, interesting. So bringing the Viprins here, yeah, a little bit of history. The Viprins are definitely pro-attacking the Riverlands. Catalan shows them courtesy, though, in the face of this awkward moment, and she's like, Is Sir Perwin here? He escorted me to Storm's End to meet with Renly. I hope to see him. He's away, Lothar says, but he shall give him her regards. Boo. Boo. <laughs> Seems suspicious. Yeah. Very And strange. she's surprised, too. She's like, he's not going to come in time to see his sister be wed? And Lothar's like, the, the rain's delaying him. I think you saw that, you know? Your delay came from the rain, if you remember. He's very, yeah, again, very petty. Very petty things happening here. And there is something to be said. Something being played on here with the phrase, not dissimilar to the Tyrells thwarting Cersei's plans, but hmm. that by not expanding and making alliances out of his old war pals, Hoster was limiting the growth and expansion of House Tully. And the way Raymond introduces his half-brothers, his cousins, his nephews, and regards them kind of almost proudly in a way, it does show kind of a certain sense of unity and pride of these family members that they're willing to murder the fuck out of the Starks together. This... This is bonding. This is family bonding. This is and bonding. this is a threat. Like, this introduction is a threat, right? Like, this is introducing the arsenal. The Freys have overdone it, and they're incurring their own infighting. But there's this movie I watched just a bit ago. I wonder if any of the people listening at home have seen it. Uh, it's got Diane Lane and Kevin Costner. It came out 2020. I watched it at Christmas with my parents and with my husband. It's called Let Him Go. And this older couple goes on a journey to get their grandson back. Their son died, and the mother of the grandson marries into this kind of creepy, kooky, crazy family who lives in the middle of nowhere. And it, it, Leslie Manville is the mother, so she's just, like, wild. She's so good in it. She's crazy. But it's like you walked into a crazy-ass, uncouth lion's den. That they, like, their eyes... They're staring at you with their eyes, and they're saying... With their smiles, hello, wonderful to meet you, but their eyes don't meet those smiles, and their eyes are literally feasting on their bones and planning how to chop their asses up, you know? And that's, like, the whole vibe of this scene. This scene is exactly that, like, oh, hello, Catalan, nice to meet you, smile, but, like, that's not, they're not smiling inside. There's no smiles in there. Yeah. And if they're smiling, it's for the wrong reasons. It's for something bad for you. Uh, uh, and and that's a yeah. great point that this is bonding because, I mean, the phrase, right? They, they do suffer from a lot of infighting. So what better way to bond them than giving them a common enemy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one last hurrah before... Oh my god. <laughs> before they all kill each other. Yeah. Uh, civil fray war. The the Freys are closer to civil war than the Starks. I think that's that's a big deal. I think people people oh, should yeah, think about sure. that more. For fray sure. civil war. It's already happening in the north for the Walders. And perhaps even a civil war. Civil spicer oh war. Oh my god. Catalan asks them for guidance to find Maester Brennett, the Maester, and Lothar graciously escorts her across the hall. Hostine asks if she had been unwell, and she calls it a woman's complaint. She goes to find Maester Brennett in the top turret, and she half expects him to be a fray. But he doesn't look like them, not at all. He's fat, bald, not very clean, but he's very kind and very, you know, sweet. 
She tells him Edmure's concern of Rosalind's fertility, and he chuckles. While she's small and narrow, her mother was the same, and Lady Bethany gave Walder a child every year. Five had survived past infancy, Perwin, Benfrey, Maester Williman, who serves Lord Hunter in the Vale, Olivar, who squired for Rob, and Rosalind, the youngest. Four boys, one girl. Edmure will have more sons than he knows what to do with. Yeah, I don't think that's how, like, that works, but... Thanks, yeah, right. Maester. <laughs> uh, so, I am surprised that Catelyn, like, went to see the Maester and took Edmure's complaints to heart. I don't know why, but it, it also, I think, really exposes the biases that the Tullys have. And, I mean, turns out they are not wrong to have these suspicions, we find out. She was just looking in all the wrong places. The anxiety about Rosalind being fertile is very loaded, like, again, Liza hangs above the story, especially as Catelyn brings her into memory again, and then, you know, she's comparing, as we discussed earlier, her to Rosalind in terms of, like, their two years before the wedding, which, that was, again, not good. And, and as we know, in general, Liza's story is very much entangled with difficulty conceiving. And maybe it's, like, even more prominent it becomes more prominent that they need to confirm her fertility, considering that they couldn't do so with Jane Westerling. Because, like, obviously now more than ever, Rob needed an heir. And maybe Jane is fertile. We don't know. But as we learn later, her mother was non-consensually giving her contraception, which is, again, reminiscent of Hosser's sins. But it, it was just too late for them to do a background check on Jane. And so they decided to trust her, I guess, because Rob did. And they're like, it's, it's too late now. But, you know, part of the tragedy is that they're looking in all the wrong places for all the wrong things. I never considered that maybe she was trying to also secure their line, you know, and offer another heir just in case. Oh, yeah. For, you know, through Admir. Absolutely. It's interesting, even somebody of their blood yeah because oh. i mean they, she thinks there's a lot less of them than there are yeah oh mama cat you've got a lot of kids still there you won't know probably you might find out but i don't maybe. think you will who knows <laughs> maybe you'll hear word i think she'll hear word slash aria slash aria's sword which is also word anyway <laughs> After leaving the maester, Cat goes to find Rob sitting in a war council with Robin Flint, Wendell Manderley, the Great John, and Small John. Everyone is damp, and another wetter man is standing at the fire in a pale pink cloak, looking fashionable. The ruse is loose once more in our chapters. Yes, she greets Lord Bolton, who says, It's a pleasure to look upon her in these times, and I'm like... No, Bruce Bolton, you do not get to check out Catelyn. You do not deserve to check out Catelyn. And she can feel the gloom in the room, though, and she asks what's up. There are Lannisters on the trident. Interesting. Willis Manderley was taken, and Bolton has brought further word from Riverrun. Clay Kerwin and Leobald Tallhard had been slain, as well as Roderick. And Clay had only been a boy. Yeah, he was like 14 man he was a kid and i'm sure when we get to brandon stark's chapters we'll talk more about it but his death in theon in clash of kings it's almost certainly a mini mirror to rob's death right he follows a very similar trajectory but his life ends shortly before rob's 
Clay's father is taken prisoner at Harrenhal. Clay comes to the harvest feast in lieu of his father, bringing two dozen lances and Stannis's word of Cersei's incest. Not too different, right? Uh, he becomes Lord Kerwin when his father dies at Harrenhal and later brings a force of 300 men to help relieve Torrens Square from the Ironborn, where Ramsay's force betrays the Northmen and Ironborn alike. Clay is then survived by his elder sister, who becomes Lady of the House, Jonelle. The language in that chapter when this does happen, too, is heart-wrenching. It's very parallel to what's going to happen at the Red Wedding, so let's relive it. We don't have enough to be sad about, you know, these days. The boy lord had taken an arrow in the eye, and Sir Roderick had lost his left arm at the elbow. Maester Lewin gave a wordless cry of dismay, turned away from the battlements, and fell to his knees, sick. Clay Kerwin's death is also at this time probably symbolic for Catelyn, knowing this is almost certainly how her sons were killed by the Ironborn, which is of course how Bolton frames this when Catelyn asks, Is it all true then? All dead? Winterfell gone? Yeah, the death of Clay is very, very loaded. And that the phrasing of that last question, you know, really comes back to that idea of tragedy because I mean like I'm not sure why but the construction of it like the repetition of the word all and and the short fragmented questions the structure of it and the language it just reminds me of Macduff learning that Macbeth yes I said it has killed his whole family that line of all my pretty ones did you say all oh hellkite all what, all my pretty chickens and their dam at one fell swoop? And that, that kind of feels like the incredulity that they are still feeling in terms of Winterfell and their family being gone and that pain and that home and, and, and to your enemies, right, of course. But Kat, she doesn't realize she's speaking to her enemies here. Yeah, all the banners look gray. All yeah. of them. Gotta get some, except for those pink ones. They're red flags. They are. That's why they're pink. They're red flags. <laughs> the Bolton sigils are pink in red flags. <sighs> Literally. Lit rally. Wow. <sighs> uh, Roose Bolton confirms the Iron Men burnt both the castle and Wintertown, and that his bastard Ramsay had been gracious enough to take some of the people to the Dreadfort. Catelyn reminds Roos his bastard was accused of murder, rape, and worse, expelled, and he says yes. His blood is tainted, but he's a good, cunning fighter. When the Iron Men slayed their men, Ramsay led the battle. He swore he shall not sheathe his sword as long as a Greyjoy is in the north. He says, perhaps my bastard is atoning for his sins, or not. When the war's done, his grace may judge him, and by then I'll have a true-born son by Lady Walda. Eh. <laughs> Rob demands to know if there was word of Theon Greyjoy, and Bolton begins to whip out a letter from his belt, but actually, it's not a letter. It's skin. This is too goth. Wendell yeah. turns away. Flint and Small John exchange a look like, what a fucking weirdo. And then Greyjohn snorts like a bull. The skin of Theon's little finger, his left hand. Ah. His literally little finger, Ooh. like you've been saying. Ooh. His left-hand man, Ooh. his betrayer, his Judas, God. Yes, the skin from the little finger of Theon Greyjoy's left hand. My son is cruel, I confess it. And yet, 
what is a little skin against the lives of two young princes. What a bastardization of that line, right? What is the life of one bastard boy against a kingdom? Everything. But here, Roos trades it. Roos is like, what's a little skin against your two sons being killed? This is, like Roos says, a small token of revenge. And in a closer look, that skin is actually kind of worth a lot, right? Because it shows Theon's not actually gone as a character. He's not completely broken. He was still unable to kill his quote-unquote kin, Bran and Rickon, though not really great for the Miller's boys. Uh, but us readers, that skin also symbolizes what the North is losing, has lost, and is about to lose in just another cat chapter. And what is a little skin, right, against the life of those two young princes? I feel like this is an exact question that's going to be answered as we get into the winds of winter and a dream of spring someday, right, for Theon's arc. What's a little skin? How is he going to change what Roos just said? Mm. Yeah. It's a very, very interesting loaded scene. And, and Roos offers Catelyn this small token of revenge. And part of her actually wants to clutch it to her heart. But she resists, asking him to put it away. And Rob says that flaying Theon won't bring his brothers back. He wants Theon's head, not his skin. And, like, speaking of, of, as you were pointing out, those interesting developments of turns of phrase, like, Rob's language in question here remind me of Kat again saying that revenge would not bring back Ned, or Elia wondering about whether a skull will replace Oberyn, or as you reminded us earlier of, of the Karstark being like, are amends gonna bring my son back? No. But here it is Rob saying that pain or flaying is not an equivalent substitute for the deaths of his brothers. He wants Theon dead, not tortured or alive. And I also read this as a question as like about the proportionality of justice and then of vengeance, right? And the difference between the two. And Rob here seems to be saying that the torture might be excessive, but also it's just, like, not what he wants. He wants fucking Theon Greyjoy dead. And the idea of proportionality in vengeance is, I think, really important and interesting, considering that, I mean, A, what's going to happen in these two chapters. But, uh, you know, to come back to Doran, I think that him wanting the deaths of the Lannisters, it, it does feel kind of, like, understandable and warranted. Maybe even proportional when it comes to the losses of Elia and her children and later Oberyn, but, I mean, that was also kind of Oberyn's fault. He he volunteered to do that out of his own volition. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, even wanting heads for Ned's death, like, that might warrant vengeance, but not the deaths of innocents like Willem and Tion. That, that's not quite the same but that does ask you know what is equivalence in vengeance does it even exist if there is equivalence like then is it justice instead so i don't know anyway anyway after all of these questions the point is whereas like you know while while we've discussed sympathizing and like mildly dabbling into being walder apologist for a moment you know like because he, he has accrued a lot of like slights throughout his life like the Red Wedding as vengeance or as like amends or an action to right wrongs, right, that, that Walder is talking about. Uh, the Red Wedding is like vastly disproportional mm -hmm. to the wrong done. Like on, on an enormous scale, considering how many people died. 
thousands of thousands of people died. Yeah, plus plus Rob. Like I don't know that it's like a you know kill someone for like a breakup or something, but yeah, and. No, that divergence of what justice means and what vengeance need, means, right, for the North. Like, that is, it, it really is significantly pointed out in this chapter that Bruce is presenting, this is vengeance. And Rob's saying, well, I don't want vengeance. That, that's not what I want. Yeah. Next, Bruce even reminds them of Theon's being an heir, being the rightful king of the Iron Islands, which, first of all, you know no king but king in the north, Roos. So that kind of seemed like a little a little oh, thing that I didn't think about till now. Like, what? Good point. You think he's the rightful king? There's no other kings, bro. He says a captive king has great value as a hostage to them. Hmm. <laughs> that seems like a red Which, flag. <laughs> yeah, once more, like, that's not what he actually plans for Rob and the phrase do not have that planned, though for Kat and Edmir, the goal was to take them hostage. It's like that Simpsons meme. I'm in yeah. danger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in danger. Uh, but this does negate, right, the idea of justice versus vengeance. Like, keeping a king captive, is that justice or is that vengeance for what you're doing? And that divergence, especially with Theon's skin disgusting Rob kind of shows that the northern vibes going on are going to turn to vengeance uh, and the wrongs that are going to happen to them, to the north, for those that come back to life or are still living, will turn to vengeance. They will absolutely turn to vengeance. And I've been doing a little reading lately, Eliana, as you know. I do a lot of late night reading, lots of Greek mythology reading. And I've been reading a lot about Horkos, the god of oaths and the personification of oath-taking. So Greek society and in myths, if you took an oath, if you made a promise and broke it, bad things would start happening to you. And you'd know Horkos came for his vengeance. They saw taking an oath as signing a three-way contract between you, the person you're promising, and the gods. Hmm. That made it divine, right? Something you could only do in name of the gods. Hmm. Breaking an oath was a violation and insult directly to the gods, which is very bad. We know that's bad. Much like Catelyn, when she comes back from the dead, Horkos doesn't care why you broke your oath. He's not concerned with intent, only oaths. If you didn't keep your promise, he'd retaliate. Aesop often did fables including Horkos, like one where there's a fable where a man sneaks around his rules and Horkos snatches him and throws him off a cliff immediately. Even in... Hesiod claimed Horkos does more damage than any other to earthly men when anyone of his knowledge swears a false oath. There's another story that I really like uh, from Mythos about Glaucus, who journeys to Delphi to question the oracle. He asks the oracle, should I steal money that's under my current care that I took an oath to keep and give back? I swore to return it. The oracle... A priestess tells him seizing the money and forsaking the oath would be more advantageous, but if you do that, death awaits you. You can't outrun Horkos or Horkos's son, who is nameless and pursues his father's enemies until he destroys their family and house. So the priestess tells Glaucos, if you were to swear true, your line would be better off. Glaucos apologizes and he begs for forgiveness from the gods and from Horkos for what he said. But the priestess then answers him and says, to tempt God and to do the deed have the same effect. So he's doomed even for considering it. Oh. So 
I thought there was something interesting in that, that like the Freys are doing that now, right? Like they are playing God about it. And later Stoneheart comes back with some of the same kind of key vengeance. But two wrongs, like you were saying, don't make a right, yeah. right? Like you can't, you can't just be like, I'm going to erase your entire line because you pissed me off and killed a couple people in my family and a couple thousand of my army. You can, and that is what happens, I'm sure, later in the story. But uh, it's not black and white, right? Like, the phrase seeking retribution is not unlike the god of Oathbreakers seeking retribution for someone even imagined a slight against them. Especially in war. Like, these oaths aren't black and white. They're not fluid, obviously. uh, But they aren't black and white. It's also like what oath, right? And like how you keep it and how you break it. And, and as we've seen, to some extent, people, you saying they're not black and white. I think that the Night's Watch is a fantastic exploration of that because it's a long ass oath with a lot of different parts and people find different ways to skirt around it, right? Like they're like, Molestown is a loophole, maybe. Uh, they're not holding any lands, but interestingly, you know, perhaps there's some power to be held depending on who you are, etc., etc. So th- there's a lot of, I think, interesting things that you're, you're raising right now in terms of, like, the oath. And, and I mean, yeah, oath-breaking shouldn't have meant death, but it's interesting to think of the phrase as some, like, really crazy, cool, badass Greek... In an alternate universe. Yeah, Greek, Greek god. But I'm like, it's interesting because I don't see them that way at all. But, I mean, the idea of a nameless son, right? That's practically what all of... Walder's sons well, are him. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, and yeah. I even think that the nameless son to me that reminds me of Arya. Oh, that's the nameless that's son probably... coming back to seek retribution. Yeah, that's probably way more way more apt than me being like Walder doesn't know his kids' names. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so the word hostage raised Catelyn's eyebrows, and she says. I hope you aren't suggesting we free the man that killed my sons. Catelyn Stark, who freed Jamie Lannan. <laughs> Anyways. Well, Rhys Bolton merely reiterates, you know, even in chains, his claim is better than his uncle's. Hold him. Demand concessions from Ironborn is the price of his execution. And Rob reluctantly agrees. Keep him alive for the present. Hold him secure at the Dreadford until they have taken the north. Cat comes back to the conversation, asking about, Okay, so the Lannister's on the trident. Rhys says, Oh, I blame myself. He delayed too long, leaving Hall, Aenys Frey, having crossed days before him without difficulty. But when they left, the river was a torrent. They ferried across in small boats. And then the Lannister's across attack those who were waiting to cross on the other side. And then we lost Nori and Locke and Burley and Wireless Manderly because, you know, he was on the wrong side of the trident, powerless to help. And you know what? You should blame yourself. It, was, it is your fault. It, it is his fault, but he gives such a dramatic performance, right? And he's very conveniently lying throughout this whole thing, like everything with this bastard. He says, you know, Ramsay sent out and helped, uh, but Ramsay actually murdered the Ironborn, <laughs> and then the Northmen, and used confusing tactics, much like Bruce is using, to get away with murder in this yeah. book every time you turn the page. Yeah. Uh, he's. I also don't think he's a good fighter. He's no. even lying about him being a good fighter. Shit. 
And, you know, some of these lies and, and the people that he's left behind for the Lannisters to pick off, I do wonder if that'll come back around to bite him. Because as we know already, the Manderleys are making moves. But are, are the Norries, the Locks, and the Burleys also aware of this sort of betrayal? Because, I mean, and I just think of it because we have seen, like, Lord Brandon Norrie, right? The John at the Wall. Yeah, and I mean, we do actually, I want to say we do have some locks in action, right? Sybil Locke mm. is captive at Deepwood by Asha. Mm. And Lord Andrew's lock banners are actually at Barrow Hall when Bolton goes there, right? And they follow Roos to Winterfell for his wedding, for the wedding of Ramsay to Arya. And that seems significant considering that if Sybil's at Deepwood, right, that's that's connected to the Robet Glover shit that is and also happening to that here. same thing... Wyman also doesn't think that they're going to stay aligned with Roos. Wyman yes. thinks they're going to join in with the North. And I mean, he's he's in contact, right, with Robet. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and I mean, like they they're planning shit together with Davos, so they got yeah things are things are yeah, happening. Moves. moves are being made. Oh my God! Post Dusk and Dale fiasco. Back at the river with the recap of what happened. Roos says that Gregor attacked with heavy horse. Drowning them down the river, cutting them down. More fled, most were taken captive. But, Bruce says, never fear, I left 600 men at the ford, so no one should be afraid of Gregor. Spearmen from the rills, the mountains, and the white knife. A hundred hornwood longbows. Free riders, hedge knights, all backed by stout and Kerwin men. Kyle Condon, the late Kerwin's right hand, has command as well as Ronald Stout. He reminds them, Lions swim no better than wolves, and Gregor won't cross. Gregor's a dog. Okay, anyway. Rob praises what he did, but Roos says he suffered grievous losses on the Green Fork, and Glover and Tallheart made it worse at Duskendale. Duskendale. Rob made the word a curse. Robet Glover will answer for that when I see him. I promise you. A folly. But... Clover was heedless after he learned that Deepwood Mott had fallen. Grief and fear will do that to a man. <laughs> yes, they will. Yes, they will. And <laughs> the man who should be answering is right here. All right. He's right here. You were looking at him right now. And anyway. This uh, idea of grief and fear will do that to a man. It's an interesting line, considering that Rob and Kat are finally, you know, really, really accepting that Winterfell has fallen. It also feels like a pointed insult, considering that grief and fear are what drove Catelyn to release Jamie, while grief drove Rob into this marriage. But I don't know if they really get that, if they understand human emotions that way. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, no, you're right. And I think that's the thing is like, Roos understands it to an extent. He just doesn't True. have them. He right? understands he it enough to manipulate them. It. Yeah. Yeah. He understands being able to exploit emotions. It's what he did with Ramsay's mom. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what Ramsay did with dumb Eric. Yep. And with Theon. Yes. Catelyn is not worried about the past, though. She asks, all right, so. Tell us then, Roos, how many men have you brought for Rob? And Bolton says, about 500 horses, 3,000 foot. They're Dreadfort men. And also, you know, some of them are from Carhold, which is fine. Uh, though there are not many, and they should keep those men close with their whole loyalty issue. 
uh, red flags. How many men have you brought, Bolton? Hesitation. Oh, only 3,500. Isn't that a little short from the original 6K? Like, if my boss was like, hey, do you numbers align? And I'm like, no, I'm short. He'd be like, why? Uh, But Roos talks himself way out of it. And I do want to say, like, he seems to have taken a little bit of influence, maybe from the Blackwater, especially with what the Tyrells did, of attacking from behind while people are distracted in the front, Hmm. right? That is obvious that him and Ramsay, they have both been doing that with the North and with the North men on the way home. Send them scattering in one direction and then get them from behind, which is actually kind of what Rob was planning to do, right, with uh, Moat yeah. Kalen. That's a really good but point. But he's, he's doing it against his own Northmen. Yeah. I mean, again, the pink flags, they are, they are red. <laughs> they are red flags. Also, the whole, like, we are keeping the carhold men close. I'm like, no, that's suspicious. That's weird. Yeah. Rob. Rob. Yeah. It's, it's too little too late. And I mean, like, the grief and fear, right? Like, causing people to do strange things. I, the grief and the fear and, like, the the loss of hope and, like, mm-hmm. Catelyn being distracted about where, where she's gonna go next. And that I mean, she, again, she's missing all of these, same as how she missed the clues about Liza being the culprit when it came to John Aaron and, like, all of how everything wasn't adding up. But there it was because, you know, things kept getting interrupted, like, oh no, a bell happened, or something else, like, cut in. But here, it is, it's all staring her in the face, but she's just too tired to see it anymore. Yeah. Well, as we close the chapter, Rob says that this should be enough, that Bolton will have command of his rear guard, and he means to start for the neck as soon as Edmure is wedded and bedded. We're going home. It's so triumphant, and I'm so sad because it doesn't happen at all. Um, Fuck. <laughs> and, you know, I have to add, the chapter right before this, the John chapter, its ending is actually much more realistic to what is going to happen. So it's kind of interesting that this ends on kind of a fake positive note, especially because the chapter itself has strong parallels. John learns of Winterfell's fall and destruction, his brother's death, as well as Lord Commander Mormont being slain under guest right by his own allies, right? Hmm. It's a really rough year for the Starks. Really bad. So yeah. from John's last chapter, they can't be dead. Theon would never do that. And Winterfell? Grey granite? Oak and iron, crows wheeling around the towers, steam rising off the hot pools in the godswood, the stone kings sitting on their thrones. How could Winterfell be gone? When the dreams took him, he found himself back home once more, splashing in the hot pools beneath a huge white weirwood that had his father's face. Egret was with him, laughing at him, shedding her skins till she was naked as her name day, trying to kiss him. But he couldn't, not with his father watching. He was the blood of Winterfell, a man of the Night's Watch. I will not father a bastard, he told her. I will not, I will not. You know nothing, Jon Snow, she whispered, her skin dissolving in the hot water, the flesh beneath sloughing off her bones, until only skull and skeleton remained, and the pool bubbled thick and red. 
which is exactly how the trident will bubble when they shove Cat's body into it. Wow. Yep. I yeah. feel I feel like I I, I had kind of made it through this chapter, you know. I was like, I'm dealing with it, and then you like brought this in. I was like, wow, everything's real sad again. Holy shit. Yeah. And bastards uh, and shit. Yeah, except for that like brief moment of joy when I was like, oh my god, the John voice. I was excited. Yeah, I did that just for you to I, make you happy because I, I knew I was about to ruin your life. It was it was a it was a pleasant surprise, unlike all these other terrible things that are happening right <laughs> now. I was it excited. was an intended slight, Eliana. <laughs> I don't kidding. feel slight. Uh, should I should I be <laughs> suspicious? Why would she bring me this nice thing? Is it <sighs> sterile? <laughs> Is it poisoned? <laughs> yes. It is poisoned, Eliana. It is poisoned. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. I'm a uh, yeah. I think that that did fuck me up a little bit too. You're not alone. Yeah, kind of sad, kind of real sad. You know, I'm a. Uh... It's a bummer what happens next week. I'm excited for our friend Alex to join us. That's gonna be the one yeah redeeming part about next week, and I'm sure we're gonna laugh inappropriately when we shouldn't. You know, uh, but that said, man, it's gonna suck. I have it really is. enjoyed talking about Catalan to this extent with you. Same. I mean, talking about everything with you. 200, 200 episodes, Chloe. You know, you're not too shabby, Eliana. I don't care what they all say about you. Yeah. You know, I... My hips are okay, I guess. Not too shabby. <laughs> Should have married a crate hall. I don't know what I was thinking. Should have married, yeah. Thick thighs save lives. That's, that's what she thought. And... Uh... I mean, think about Lyle Craighall, right? Isn't he, like, a boar? A boar? The strong boar. Sir Lyle Craighall is called the strong boar, so he's boar on the floor. He's thick boar. as fuck, you know? Why is everything coming back to boar on the floor? <laughs> I will say... It's a uh, fun game. It's a fun game. Regarding other fray, fray families, you know, the subfamilies amongst the Viperins, that's where the one of the Elianas in the story is, Eliana Viperin. Yes, and it seems she comes from bad stock. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about wraps us up for Cattle and Six in a Storm of Swords. Yeah. Oh. We're just shoving our feelings down. It's fine. And, you know, this if you. Normal if, banter. I know, right? Banter. That's a, that's a word that they say a lot on uh, Love Island. And oh if you have thoughts about this episode. Or like about what happens to cat, or like literally anything, or animals to send us. You can you can find us on social media. Send us a tweet or a DM at Girls Gone Canon C A N O N, or you can shoot us an email at Girls Gone Canon at gmail dot com. Yeah, we're gonna need some emotional support emails for sure. So if you just need to, you know, cry for a while, yeah, we feel you. We're here. We feel you. Of course, make sure you're subscribed to us on a platform near you where you stream podcasts like Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Audible, Pandora, you name it, we're there. You know, I started this because I was like, yeah, I got it. I corrected the order. And then I was like, wait, no, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm going to save Chloe from doing this. But anyway. It's okay. So, somewhere else that you can find us is also on our Patreon, where you can find all of our episodes, and patrons get a special RSS feed, and also once a month, a 
bonus episode for patrons $5 and up in the Stranger tier and above. Yes, this month will be a very creepy spirits and creatures in his Dark Materials episode, and I'm hyped about that. And that's not the only Halloween thing we got happening this month. We always are talking about spooky fun stuff in the Discord, but this month, again, for our brunch slash happy hour, we are doing Halloween. Yes, come trick or treat or both with us at the Discord. That is, again, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. I guess we'll be back next week. I mean, 200's a good ending point, you know? Like, we could we could stop and Catelyn doesn't die, Rob doesn't die, they go home. Everybody lives. Just this once. Everybody Just lives. Just this once. Uh, alas, that ain't, that ain't it. We'll see you next week. Bring your tissues. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>